Well, it's January, and in the world of filmmaking, that means Sundance. So today on the Dolby Institute podcast, we're talking with five representatives from the Sundance Institute here to discuss the festival, as well as the many year-round artist programs that emerging and established filmmakers alike can participate in through Sundance. Moderating this conversation once again is our very good friend, director, Sundance alum, and Dolby Institute Fellowship winner, Carlos Lopez Estrada. This is another installment of our Satellite Sessions series, recorded as live webinars, which we're bringing to you in partnership with Anti-Gravity Academy and the Coalition of Asian Pacifics in Entertainment. Once again, we're extremely proud to bring this conversation to you, filled with real-world advice aimed at emerging filmmakers and storytellers who may wish to participate in the numerous resources the Sundance Institute has to offer, along with guidance on how to best position themselves to get recognized with the work they have to offer. Take it away, Carlos. Hello, hello, everyone. Thanks for coming back and continuing to show up to these. Um, we're very excited about today's session. My name is Carlos Lopez Estrada. I'm a filmmaker. I'm the founder of Anti-Gravity Academy. We are a production company established with the main focus of supporting emerging filmmakers in film, television, and beyond. In addition to hosting monthly conversations like this one you're about to see and hear, we'll be launching a couple of other, other initiatives soon, including uh, mentorship opportunities and an incubator for first-time filmmakers. So please... Add us on Instagram at Antigravity Academy and stay connected to learn a little bit more about what it is that we do. Quickly, we're going to talk about satellite sessions. In case you don't know what you're here to see, these are free monthly conversations with incredibly exciting figures from the film and the TV universe. Our previous panels have featured conversations with directors, with agents, managers, producers, most recently last month writers speaking about making meaningful change with their storytelling. All these conversations will be available soon in podcast and video form through the Dolby Institute channels. We're on this mission to build the largest community of emerging filmmakers on the planet, and we're slowly getting there, but we have a long way to go. So about this panel, the Sundance Institute was founded in 1981 to foster independence, risk-taking, and new voices in film. Since then, the most singular voices in independent filmmaker, fi filmmaking and other storytelling disciplines have emerged from the many programs that the Institute offers. The organization has now grown to a team of 180 working year round to maintain over a dozen labs and intensives for artists, as well as being responsible for the amazing Sundance Film Festival, which takes place every January in Park City, Utah and it's one of the most influential film festivals in the planet. The festival has provided a major platform for emerging filmmakers to showcase their work, and has also fostered game-changing culture of artistic innovation, community, and diversity in the film industry. So today, we are joined by five representatives from the Sundance Institute, year-round artist programs, and from the festival, and they will share a little bit about the truly inspiring and groundbreaking work they're doing to support emerging filmmakers and storytellers year round. So please help me welcome Paola Mutura, 
Documentary Film Fund Director of the Sundance Institute. She oversees the film fund and all of its activities. Before working at Sundance, Paola supported production and grant making at CineReach and managed nonfiction programs for the New York-based nonprofit IFP, stands for Independent Filmmaker Project. Next, we have Adam Piron, Director of Sundance Institute's Indigenous Program and a member of the Kiowa Tribe of Oklahoma and Mohawk. Adam is the co-founder of Cousin, a film collective. Do you say cousin or do you use the, the words here? Cousin. Just cousin's fine. <laughs> a film collective dedicated to supporting indigenous artists. He has also been a member of Sundance Film Festival's short film programming since 2013. Next, we have Jandis Estrada Cardoso. She's the director of Sundance Episodic Program. Before that, she served as the Senior Director of Talent Engagement and Outreach at NBC Universal under the Global Talent Development and Inclusion Division. Jandis is also a recent recipient of the Golden Eagle Award for Diversity Impact in Television. Anna Sosa, Manager of the Pro Programming Department at Sundance Film Festival and a programmer on the Features team. In addition to her work at Sundance, she's a director of programming at the Sun Valley Film Festival and the forum producer of the Palm Springs International Film Festival. And last but not least is Elise McKimmy. She is a deputy director of Sundance's of Sundance Institute's feature film program. She oversees the directors and the screenwriters labs and the screenwriters intensive, provides year-round creative and strategic support to alumni filmmakers and plays a key role in the producing and episodic programs. So thank you all very, very much for joining and taking time to chat with me and us. Uh, just a note for all of our attendees, if you have any questions that you would like to ask your panelists, please write them down in the chat. We'll make sure to make some uh, space at the end of the conversation to get through as many of them as possible. Just to kick us off, could we just go around the table, we'll call it, and could each of you just break down a little further the specific work you do within your department at Sundance and what a typical day may look like for you now? The work that I do is to oversee the uh, outreach, submission review, and selection process for um, mostly focus on U.S.-based artists for our screenwriters lab, screenwriters intensive, directors lab, and a couple of fellowships that we also have under our development track programs. And then also um, overseeing the implementation and execution of those programs when they happen. And then in addition to that, uh, I, along with um, my team, are very involved in the ongoing year-round creative and strategic support for all of our alumni projects that have participated in one of those labs or fellowships. And a typical day for me right now um, is divided between reading a lot of scripts and applications because we're currently in second round project review for next year's development track, which includes labs, intensives, and fellowships. And then also um, still doing a little bit of outreach uh, for direct to second round submission. We have an open application every spring and anyone can apply. You don't have to know anyone or have any prior experience. 
But in the second round, we also do some outreach to people that we've been tracking over time or are recommended to us by our alum or advisors. Um, so it's a mix of outward facing, bringing things in and then going into my hidey hole and, and reading and watching work. So you're busy. A little bit. <laughs> Thanks, Elise. Uh, I'll pass it over to Adam. I saw you unmuted. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm the director of the Indigenous program. Uh, what we do is we've, we're we uh, a program that's been around since the founding of the Institute in uh, 1981. Um, Robert Redford, our founder, had always wanted to create a space within Sundance for specifically Indigenous filmmakers to tell their own stories. So um, you know, we like to say that we've been supporting four generations of indigenous filmmakers and are currently working on identifying the fifth while also sustaining the others. But, um, you know, I think, uh, similar to Elise, uh, in, um, in terms of some of the work that they do as well too, is like, we have our own lab and a number of different fellowships where we specifically support, um, give funding, uh, support as well and creative support to indigenous filmmakers, uh, both within the U.S. as well as uh, internationally as well, too. Um, our focus tends to be a bit more on the U.S., but um, we have a, a good chunk of folks that are uh, based internationally as well. And uh, again, we do that through, we have our own lab. Um, we have a number of different intensives as well as uh, different fellowships and grants um, that, um, you know, we we give out every year. So, um, you know, we're also, we're always kind of constantly reviewing um, trying to identify new artists as well. And then um, I'm also as um Carlos had mentioned, I'm also part of the uh, shorts programming team for the festival. Um, so I know every year it tends to go up. I think like we had just closed the submissions this past year. I think we're not, Anna can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe we're like, we broke or we're like right around like 11,000 submissions for shorts. Um, and so like uh, the team, uh, my, my the other folks on the shorts team with me and stuff, we, you know, we kind of, spend a lot of time obviously uh, watching all those shorts and narrowing it down to sort of the final selection for the festival. Um, but yeah, so it's a little bit about me and what I do. That's a lot of shorts to watch. Yeah. <laughs> How amazing. Uh, I'll pass it over to Paola. Sure, thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Uh, so as you mentioned earlier, Carlos, I oversee the uh, Sundance Documentary Fund and all of its activities. So I should say that the documentary fund is one of the two pillars that make up the um, documentary film program. The other pillar is the labs, fellowships and artist support. So um, the documentary fund is uh, currently 21 years old. So it was funded um, in 2002 with the funding support of the Open Society Foundations, which remains a larger funder today. Um, and, you know, I can give a little bit of the background. Um, of the fund. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so when it was fund founded, the fund was really quite unique and one of the first funds in its kind and was mainly focused on supporting films tackling human rights issues. So this remains really like an intrinsic part of the fund DNA, but over the years, the fund has really substantially broadened its scope to support nonfiction artists from all around the world. It has always been a global fund, working on cinematic documentaries on pressing contemporary issues. So this is a question that we get a lot. So when it comes to themes, we're really incredibly open. We don't have any particular themes that you know are our preference. Um, and we're also really open when it comes to artists, um, artistic approaches. So we really encourage artists to expand the vocabulary of documentary film and, um, and we support projects that embrace a very wide range of storytelling approaches. 
Uh, in terms of my work, similarly to, I think, a lot of my colleagues, I oversee the submission, review, selection, uh, and also grant-making program, um, sorry, grant-making processes for the documentary fund um, and all of our specialty funds. Um, so the documentary fund, so we have a number of like funding opportunities, but the biggest one is what we call our general fund, which is really the bigger documentary fund that we have. And currently uh, it operates with one open call per year. We typically receive between 1,000, 1,500 submissions per year. Uh, wow. The open, so yeah, it's a lot, but not 11,000 like the short program. <laughs> so it is, so the open call is typically in the spring. And then we take about six months to review process. So we have a multi-stage, very rigorous review process, um, which starts with a, a team of external reviewer. Um, so these are folks uh, who are based all around the world um, and do the first looks on all of the submissions. And then our team um, sort of starts to kind of narrow down uh, the pool. So based on the reviews that come back from the external reviewers, um, you know, we we look at those reviews and the projects that get the best, the positive, the most positive reviews that they move forward. And then our team, um, we have this internal phase, our team reviews those projects. Um, and then at the end, we narrow down like a finalist group of projects that are presented and discussed with uh, two committee panels, one international and one um, domestic. Uh, and these panels are made up oh. by professionals um, that are really like directors, um, producers, editors. Um, so a typical working day for me, I think very much depends on like the time of the year and where we're at with our funding cycle. Uh, right now we're entering the thick of our review phase. So there's a, quite a lot of project review that we're doing. Uh, we're also prepping for this October, um, which is essentially the new term that uh, we've come up with to describe the month of October, um, which is dedicated to documentary content. So we're working a lot with our communication team. So watch out uh, for that. So there's going to be a lot of documentary stories. Uh, that we're promoting in October. And then um, I also manage like funders relationships, support our advancement team with fundraising. And then I also provide um, ongoing creative support um, to our supported artists. So um, yeah, so I think that's kind of like, usually like a typical day is kind of like a mix of all of these elements. Amazing. Uh, thanks for sharing. I'll pass it over to Anna. Hi, yes, I'm Anna Souza. Uh, I have been on the Sundance team for eight years now. I'm on the feature film side. Uh, of the festival uh, and our um, our my focus as a programmer on the team for features is across all sections because we program very collaboratively um, so I to that end while I'm a little more specialized in fiction and I'm part of the fiction team so to speak we all make decisions um, together towards the end of the process so I'm watching fiction as well as documentaries um, and again across all sections U.S. international um, with also uh, a bit of an emphasis um, in midnight and genre films. Um, and in terms of um, in terms of like a typical day right now, um, we're, we're nearing a deadline uh, on Monday, our features deadline, um, the uh, late deadline um, is coming up. So at the moment, just answering a lot of questions from folks um, over email um, and people reaching out and just watching a lot, like a very large volume. Uh, to Adam's point, um, yeah, I think we actually clocked in at just under twelve thousand this year. <laughs> so it was, it's, it's a record. That's right. I knew I was messing up on the numbers. Yeah, so eleven thousand was last year. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just an extra thousand, you know. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then we'll, we're we're still expecting a couple more features to trickle in uh, 
in, in and around the deadline and just doing a lot of communications with filmmakers at the moment. So there's a lot of emails being exchanged um, and then a lot of watching. And we have these team meetings where we meet as a programming team and, and discuss and go through the films we've been watching and share films with each other. Um, but basically I'm, I'm part of the team that is uh, in charge of the selection and review of the films that are submitted to the festival. Um, and we kind of whittle down all the submissions to, um, to the different sections that co uh, comprise the program every year. Wow. Um, we'll come back to, to you in a second, Anna, with some more specific questions about your process, but we will end this round with Jandice, if you don't mind, uh, sharing a little bit about your program and your day-to-day. -day. Oh, sure. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Shout out to my Kate Familia. I uh, just want to recognize all the Filipinos out there um, for my papa from Pangasinan. Um, that said, the day-to-day -day for Sundance Episodic Program, just want to confirm that everybody knows this is exclusively for the writers. Um, we're a baby program, only nine years old. So we don't have any uh, director programming as of yet. And this is strictly narrative fiction. So um, no unscripted as of yet. So that's the program. We just selected our fellows this year. We're going to the mountain in the fall. So currently we are in feedback calls with the pilot drafts that they're taking to their creative advisors who are showrunners or writing executive producers from um, hit shows. And that's what I'm doing right now is booking their creative advisors and mentors and figuring out programming for that five, six day block that we're going to be on the mountain for the lab. Okay, we'll move to another one for all of you and you can go in whatever order you want. But each of you has had such a unique and very impressive path leading you to Sundance. Can you just share a little bit about how you think your journey and your previous experiences in the industry have influenced the way you work now and the way that you take in art and creative projects? Well, uh, my path to Sundance um, started a long time ago. I'm a bit of a lifer. I just started year 24 working here at the Institute. Wow. So um, <laughs> a lot of my path has just been at Sundance. But, you know, what I did before this, I had an assistant job at a, one of the talent agencies, and I had a development job at a production company that had a studio deal. So I often say that those jobs, I was very lucky to work for wonderful human beings, but I often say that those early jobs were learning a lot about what I ultimately didn't want to be doing. Um, so I think coming to Sundance has been wonderful because it really embraces the kind of storytelling and the kind of artists that I'm most interested in, in terms of the types of stories that they're telling, the way that they are often deeply personal, um, the way that they've really widened my personal worldview um, in terms of how I understand the world or try to make sense of it at least. And um, I think that, you know, in terms of influencing how I interact with the art, it's just really underscoring the value of it. And there's nothing that I love more than being in a room with artists and talking about story. And for me personally, specifically in the feature form, it's, um, you know, it's, it's what I love to do. And, uh, you know, I, the fact that I've been here so long should tell you that, you know, it, it it's worked out okay for me. <laughs> You do amazing work there. Uh, Adam, we'll go over with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like 
similar to Lisa. I had to like do a quick calculation when she said that of how long I've been <laughs> doing work with the Sundance. But I started as an intern back in 2007. So I'm just about to finish clocking my 16th year of doing work with Sundance. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think this will be my 10th year of programming with the shorts team. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, Sundance has definitely been a huge part of like my, you know, both professional and kind of creative, um, creative life and stuff. And, you know, similar to at least two, like kind of in between there, like I've sort of boomeranged, I always end up coming back to Sundance, but it's like, I've gone and tried something else and come back and, um, similar as well too. It's like, I've done a couple of different jobs and in other parts of the industry. And I was like, yeah, this is not for me. I'll go do this or, you know, some other fields as well too. But I think for me, it's mostly, you know, it's around, I think for my own background of just being uh, Native American and, um, you know, seeing a lot of uh, what indigenous artists are capable of, and as well as like, you know, helping to support that because um, it is a lot different in the U.S. compared to other countries, like other countries have like film commissions or uh, film boards or offices and stuff like that, where they're able to a lot, you know, support for filmmakers like indigenous or not, you know, um, but, you know, there, there a lot of the international indigenous uh work is made through through some of those but in the u.s there's nothing that really exists like that so this is kind of something that's probably about the closest thing to that um so it's you know it's been just helping a lot of folks and you know also seeing a lot of the work sort of unfold over that time period as well too like uh like when i was an intern and stuff and you know i'm, I'm still uh friends with them and stuff but it's like you know seeing somebody like taika ytt uh go from you know just having done his like first feature and a couple shorts uh, you know, and just kind of knowing him from when I was an intern and then even like someone like Sterling Harjo who went on to uh, create um, Reservation Dogs, um, you know, like just kind of seeing all that work sort of pay off over this time period, I think is something that, you know, I've been, uh, it's it's been for me something that's really shaped how, how I've, how I perceive a lot of this work and what happens when you get behind Indigenous artists and support them. Um, and then also too, I mean, like I, I went to film school as well too, for production. I mean, I make my own, uh, work and, uh, you know, also plays at different festivals and stuff too. So I think also for me, it's like also kind of working with other artists and like knowing, um, like when to help, but also like knowing when to get out of the way and just to kind of like help them, you know, if they're sort of like going down some channel and sort of like vibing and figuring out like their own voice with certain things, it's like, you know, just creating, helping to create the conditions for them to kind of have those creative breakthroughs and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, so that's, um, I think for me, yeah, that's definitely sort of like the way I work and sort of like take in art, but then also hopefully like help, you know, artists make their own as well too, so. Uh, I'll pass it over to you. Sure, so I've been um, at Sundance for about four or five years. Uh, pandemic time is kind of like its own <laughs> different sense of time. Uh, but I think it was two years before the pandemic and then three years since the pandemic. And, um, yeah, so I think my, my career trajectory, um, before I started working at Sundance has really kind of spanned across various sectors of the documentary film industry. And I, and I got into documentaries because I was really interested in finding a way to sort of like marry my passion for film um, to my interest for like positive change and social justice. Um, so I worked both domestically, internationally. I started working in documentary production in the UK. Then I did some festival work. I worked for pitching forums. Um, and then I found my niche uh, with like labs, artist support, and then more um, recently and specifically like 
film funding. And uh, I think the range of experiences that I've had um, have really allowed me to gain a deeper understanding of our field from many different perspectives. Um, from both kind of artists to industries. So, you know, I have a deep understanding of like the filmmaking process and the challenges that artists face. And, you know, particularly these days, you know, sustainability is an issue and like our, our field and our industry, you know, is in a particular kind of precarious state. So, um, you know, but I, then I also, um, I also have an understanding of like, where of of what different sort of players in the industry from like streamers to distributors, sales agents are coming from and what they're looking for. So I think this all of these experiences now have been incredibly helpful, uh, particularly as you know, as I support artists and I provide strategic and tactical support. Um, they've all been, yeah, just incredibly helpful. It's just been really helpful to have had those uh, different experiences and, and just like have an understanding of the different perspectives and how the different sectors work. Exactly. Um, we'll pass it over to Anna. Uh, yeah, so I, I've been at Sundance for about eight years. Um, and I mean, really outside of um, coming straight out of grad school, I went, I started working in festivals almost right away. Um, so for me, it, it became a bit of a process of elimination of Having gone to Sundance a couple of years as a volunteer, it, it was just something that I knew I wanted to be around the festival world. Um, just it felt so mission driven. Um, and so it felt like it was really aligning um, many passions that I had in terms of being able to help support and showcase uh, new voices and, you know, just artists that were really taking bold strides in storytelling. So that was something that I always wanted to be a part of in some shape or fashion. And I kind of found myself um, at Sundance after, you know, working a couple of different places like um, Outfest and AFI Fest. Then for me, I think I saw a comment in the chat. Someone asked if I'm Brazilian. I am Brazilian. There is like uh -huh. a, a part of, of it that's very personal for me in the sense of um, I love the deep commitment that Sundance has to international storytelling as well um, and how hard our team has worked to really amplify that um, and amplify our international sections alongside um, the U.S. ones. Um, and I think that there's just so much exciting storytelling going on in, in um, all over the world. And so that's something that has been really wonderful to sort of to be a part of and has been a big driving factor, I think. And it's part of why we, we, we travel to all sorts of places, um, doing outreach, taking meetings, and just making sure that everyone knows that we can, that we're a place for their film and that we want to see the work and that we want to support new voices. Um, so for me, it's, it's all been very rewarding to be a part of that work. I also just, I, I think in terms of other experiences and how they've informed, um, I've worked with multiple festivals and there's something very collaborative about the way that Sundance's team um, works and the way that the programming operates, um, which I find also very personally rewarding. And I find that that actually is kind of the <laughs> the, the secret superpower uh, of the program in a way and the strength of the program in a way is really that it's such a collaborative endeavor and that there's so many voices that are contributing to that process. So it's been really great to be able to be a part of that. Thank you. And then Jen, this will end with you. Oh my gosh. I've only been at Sundance for two years, guys. <laughs> I'm brand new. Uh, prior to this, I was te 10 years at NBC Universal. So on the network studio side, working with, they have seven networks actually. 
and two different studios, but predominantly scripted primetime and alternative late night. Um, I also led their uh, stand-up comedy tour and book writers and talent for SNL and um, Jimmy Fallon. And prior to that, I thought I wanted to be a Broadway director. And I was living in New York for 13 years, freelancing as a casting director for largely feature films and got into the pilot game after like maybe a dozen films I did like at NBC Universal, they would cast like 26 <laughs> pilots a season. So a lot of pilots, even pilots for networks that don't even exist. Um, and here I am now. This is a question for, you know, whoever wants to take it. But as as you know, our audience today is largely composed of emerging filmmakers and storytellers, many of them with aspirations to participate in one or more of the Sundance Labs or premiere their their work at the festival. This is kind of like a big question, but what do you think would be a piece of advice that you can say for someone who's just starting to make their own work, whether it's shorts, documentaries, pilot scripts, and are trying to create from a truthful place, also trying to find their voice and wanting to be noticed by people like yourselves, knowing that you know many times resources and time is limited for when someone who's just just starting. Something that I always think about, um, and again, going back to like this, the collaborative thing I was saying in the collective nature of programming, but I think this is applies so much to filmmaking. It's just finding your collaborators and finding the the people that you want to work with and come up with. I think being able to really build those good creative working relationships early on will just like get you super far. And I think you see some of um, you know, the, no matter what else might be difficult, if you have like your people that you have good synergy with and that you've kind of, again, been developing those relationships, I think that will get you very far just in terms of wherever you might be going, because it is such a collaborative medium. And it is something that I think should never be uh, underestimated in terms of how much other people can can help you and can take you further and can sort of challenge you and and um, help you grow in all the right ways. So I'd say just, and that's again, something that feels like it's accessible to everyone. I think like maybe Elise might agree with, with some of this and stuff. I mean, at least from like the screenwriting stuff that we get, it's like, you know, I think in terms of resources and stuff, it's like your limits kind of like whatever you wanna put on the page and like what you can sort of imagine really. Um, I think what I would always encourage, what I always try to encourage people to do is like, don't start thinking about like what's the budget for this as you're like writing because you're just gonna like unless if you're using that as a specific sort of exercise it's like i think it can be very limiting um but then even also like on the programming side too i think it's like you can like you know i we also like don't recommend that people like you know max out like six credit cards and stuff like that like some people do that and it's like you know i don't I don't, I don't know how they do that, but like, but also it's like, you know, I think it's like your film will kind of tell itself to a certain extent with how, you know, with, if you're, if you're doing it kind of from the right place, like we've had films that we programmed uh, on the short side that have been like one that was made for probably less than like $10. And it was like from this, this girl that was living in a Syrian refugee camp and they, she just had a camcorder and just like recorded, you know, bits of her life from her perspective and then there was another one too that was from israel like i want to say it was back in 2014 or 2015 but um it was essentially the the premise was was that uh, it was like a documentary or kind of a hybrid documentary where 
this guy had accidentally taped over a bunch of family footage, um, like home video footage that um, had, I believe some relatives that had like since been deceased. And it was like some of the only footage they had. And he like recreated the whole thing, like as he remembered it with things like doorknobs or like water bottles and stuff like that. And he's just moving them around. But like by the end of the short, like everybody in the theater was like bawling because it was like so touching (laughs) and stuff. So I think it's also like, you know, I think it's, I think there are plenty of ways to be creative in terms of how you're telling your story. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that, I think a lot of people ask that question of like, well, how much is a, you know, usually like a Sundance film or how much is usually like a short that gets in. And it's like, to be honest, it's like, again, it's like, there's no real answer to that. We get some stuff that is like, you know, probably over a hundred thousand dollars and we get some stuff that was made for like five. And so it's like not something we're looking for. And it's also like, I think um, the thing that it sort of boils down to for us, at least on the short side, is um, like what the voice is, you know, really like that's the thing that really stands out. And I always tell people that where I'm like, yeah, it's really great that like you love or you, you know, you've seen like Tarantino or like David Fincher's film, but like don't try to make a Tarantino or David Fincher film because it's like you're not going to make as good of a David Fincher film as David Fincher. You know what I mean? So it's like, what is like your story? Like, what is like, you know, the John Doe film? That's like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like that's, and I think that that's what people want to see. Um, Cause that's what, you know, really sort of rises to the top. And even the same thing with like, you know, writing something as well too, is like spending time and experimenting, whether it's with shorts or even just with writing or figuring out like, what is it that you want to say? And like, how do you want to say it? And how does it come natural? Or like, what are some, ways that you are trying to articulate something and i think that that's always been the stuff that's really sort of like popped for for us in programming and then also just with me within the indigenous program is seeing stuff where people are really trying to tell something and in their own way which is again too this is part of like what sundance is here for is to um help help folks that are you know trying to say something that's like a little bit out of the box or trying to like redesign the box if that makes sense so Yeah, I would just double down on on that. I always used to say to people, you know, in terms of creating your own work, tell the story that you are uniquely qualified to tell. Doesn't necessarily mean your autobiography, but the one thing that you have that no one else has is what you are, your experience, your taste, the lens that you bring to something. Um, And, you know, don't be afraid to be vulnerable to dig deep, to put some skin in the game, because that is the thing that'll really make you stand out. Um, just, just reiterating everything that, that's been said. And, you know, we are really here to support artists for fulfill their own unique vision. So that's what we want to see and hear, you know, what is their, what is, yeah, your own unique vision. And um, and then I also wanted to really uh, emphasize what um, Anna was saying about collaboration and community. Those are really key. And particularly like talking from a documentary standpoint, you know, documentary filmmaking can be an isolating, lo- lonely endeavor sometimes. And also it can take a long time. Um, so make sure that you surround yourself by, you know, a strong team and people that you trust and and that you engage um, in the community. Um, And also that you work on other people's projects because that is like an amazing learning opportunity, Uh, but also it helps with sustainability because, you know, often it is really hard to just, you know, pay the bills while you're making your own personal film, particularly at the beginning of your career. So, um, you know, just like taking, just embracing those opportunities of collaboration. I think it's really, really important. Oh, thank you. That's all such insightful and inspiring answers. Um, I'm going to move on to the next one, which is slightly connected, but 
you know, lots of people are interested in your programs and in having their work showcased at the festival, but just resources like everything else are, are finite. And I'm just wondering what people can do to become involved with Sundance and make the most out of the resources and the community and the educational opportunities if they are not participating in a lab or the fellowship or the festival, just because I know that there are so many opportunities within the the organization and a lot of people may not be aware of all of them. So yeah, if anyone can shed some light of how to still be a part of this community um, beyond those opportunities. Yeah, I'm happy to jump in on this one. One of the really fantastic resources that we have is called Sundance Collab. Um, that's the basically the Sundance Institute digital space for filmmakers really of all levels and there's a lot of opportunity to learn from um, experts or people who have been through the Sundance programs a lot of the advisors and instructors on Sundance at on collab have either gone through our labs as fellows or have participated as an advisors um, our, the offerings there cover screenwriting, both for um, fiction features and for episodic, directing, producing, people working in doc. There's programming there that deals with things like career strategies or professional development. And actually some of the programming on Collab is even more expansive than the artist programs. We had recently a masterclass on writing for uh, for gaming, for video games. There's one coming up on writing for animation. We've had one around audio storytelling. So it's a really fantastic way to engage. And there's a variety of um, offerings. There's online events, there's master classes, which are like two or three hour in-depth interactive craft online workshops. We have courses um, that come at an additional cost, but they're offered not only about a variety of different content, but also in different formats. There are some live courses where you all log on at the same time every week, but we also have self-paced courses. So you can view a lot of the instruction at your own schedule, but there's still opportunity to engage live with an instructor and get feedback on your work. Um, and then for we also have some briefer like weekend intensives for people who have a nine to five. Um, there's video library. There's lists of like different grants and opportunities, not just Sundance, but sort of all over the ecosystem. There's a writer's cafe every Friday where you can just sort of log on and be doing your work with other people. So building that community, it's not just U.S., it's all over the world. And I think it's a really fantastic way to engage. And it's um uh, not as limited in terms of access to some of the artist programs at the festival is just because of the volume of submissions those receive. Uh, amazing. I know I'm seeing that a lot of people are already a part of of the collab community. Uh, I'll move on to some. Uh, thank you, Elise, for that uh, breakdown. That was actually very thorough. Uh, Anna, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Um, and Please forgive me if this is a little bit too basic or reductive of the incredible work that you do. But for those of us who don't have a ton of exposure to what goes into festival programming, would you mind just telling us a little bit about the criteria you follow when you look at work for consideration for the festival? You you sit and you play a film and what is the thing that you look for? And I bet it's more than one thing, but if you can try to summarize yeah, I, that's always such a tough 
question, right? Because really, like, like, I mean, the criteria, you know, in terms of, let's say, eligibility is, you know, we're looking for world premieres for U.S. films and international premieres for international films at minimum. Uh, but rea but realistically, beyond that, it's really hard to narrow it down. And I think you see that even in our program and in just like the diversity of the stories and the voices that are represented and the types of films and the genres and, you know, the, the kinds of directors and the careers those directors have had. I mean, I, we of course, we do end up playing a lot of first time filmmakers, but there's also a lot of second time filmmakers, third time filmmakers. It just depends. Right. Depends on the section, depends on um you know the year and, and so it is very broad and because of that you know it's hard to sort of pinpoint I'd, I'd say yeah. personally you know and, be, and also because it's such a collaborative process and we're you know making decisions as a group but I'd say personally I'm always looking for something that maybe I haven't quite seen before whether that's you know something that's moving or exciting or that feels fresh in some way um, and again, that's very tough to to pinpoint, but I think something that, again, feels authentic. I, th I really liked what um, Elise was saying about, you know, the story that you're uniquely qualified to tell. I think that that really comes across. Um, I also liked uh, this idea of redesigning the box. So like filmmakers who are doing their own thing and and sort of blowing up the rules and, um, and you know, surprising us. Anytime a film surprises me, I really pay attention very closely because it doesn't happen that often because we're seeing so much in terms of the volume. Um, so so because of that, I'd say it's, it's tough, right? Because we're looking at really, you know, just showing a, a slice of, you know, the best of independent films that we've, been able to find in that year and that's such a huge variety of voices and stories and perspectives across countries and genres so because of that it's it's it is hard to narrow down and I, I don't mean to you know say it in a no, way no, 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 no. avoid the question but it's just because I think if you actually you know if you look if you look at the at the program and the films that we've showed, you know, I think it's it is hard to to believe sometimes that you know the film in one section would also be the same as a film in another section because it and at the end of the day we look for balance in a program too right like we don't want a program of all of the same kind of film or the same kind of voice or the same kind of tone and genres so that's the other part as well is like it really becomes a bit of a puzzle piece um process because then we're also looking at okay well what are the voices that are here what are the stories that are here and, you know, what are the films that are really standing out to us and how do we sort of discuss all of these factors and come up with a program that's representative of what we're seeing in a given year? Uh, and and a little bit of a, of a sad question, but what do you do when you find a movie that you absolutely love and for some reason it just doesn't get programmed, whether it's consensus or whether it's just space? Yeah. Um, but as a programmer, other than just being upset is there anything that you can do to support the movie you can definitely be upset and hold on to it for a really long time um, <laughs> don't advise that but you can um yeah I think the thing the reality is you know with the statistics we're, we're looking at 12,000 shorts we're looking at around 5,000 features a year um last year we programmed 104 features um around there um, and about 70 shorts, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so that, 
you know, those, those, those stats, I think just should go to, to show that we're really, you know, of course, like the nature of the beast and the nature of like the work is that we're also turning away a lot of great work. Like we just are, there just isn't the room to show all of the great work and all of the films that we get passionate about and that we care about. So I think that's always just something important to sort of reiterate again and again, because I know it's so hard to get a notification that's, you know, a negative one of that the film wasn't included in the festival um, and to take it as like a reflection on the film or the quality of the film, which it's not. Yeah. Um, so that's just one thing. Um, I think in my case, I've found it really helpful that I work with multiple festivals. I've always liked being able to advocate for films that maybe don't make it in, but that might be a good fit for another festival. But regardless of that, because I know there's colleagues of mine who work with multiple festivals and others who don't, um, I think programmers are always kind of open and willing to discuss with each other like recommendations and films that, you know, again, might not have made it in, you know, for the festival for whatever reason, but then if they love a film, they can, you know, might mention it to another programmer at another festival when they reach out looking for, you know, suggestions for their program. So it's the kind of thing where programming is such a small world we all sort of like know each other and talk to each other from different festivals and you know across different countries sometimes too so it's it's it because of that sort of interconnectedness there's something nice there where I think that we can perhaps you know help support a film even in other ways and then the other part is you know we're we're always tracking we're we're obsessively tracking filmmakers work like we have a crazy database we just stay in touch with a lot of people we're always, you know, folks are emailing us, we're emailing people and doing outreach. And so for us, I think it's also about just watching the next film and staying in touch and being like, we loved your film. And, we're, you know, we weren't able to program it, but please, like, sh please share your work in the future. And like, be, you know, hoping that the next time, maybe the circumstances will be different, depending on how things go that year. Um, so I think just maintaining that point of contact um, is something that we very proactively do. Amazing. Um, I'm going to move it over to Jandis if that's okay and I'm going to ask you about Pitch Parlor which is uh, a program that was launched in the last two years right and it's used yeah. to showcase fellows pitches to TV producers to studios to networks um, there's ongoing strikes as we all know and creatives have not been able to pitch since May <laughs> but we're all very excited to be able to get back into it uh, yeah. What what are some elements of a pitch that really help distinguish the project for you and the other creative partners in the program? Pitching is a skill in and of itself. It has nothing to do about how excellent you are as a writer, um, how excellent you are at any other elements in life. But pitching in and of itself, it's it's kind of like comparing it to um, like you can be a great actor, but if you're a sh terrible auditioner. You're never going to get work. You need to step into the room and not just sell your project, but sell that you are the parent to walk this child into in through life. There's a lot of collaborators that have to sign off in television. It's not like film as the as a director. You get in and your word is gold. Um, you're not the king as a writer, but in television, um, you are. So you have to typically attach yourself to a showrunner and a, a production company and then a studio and then a network. And each of those have a mountain of armies saying why they could get this somewhere else. And you have a lot of convincing to do. So um, when you are ready to pitch, um, 
take that mojo and power and any ayahuasca leanings you need to give yourself <laughs> the momentum to walk into a room and let them know and just leave it on the floor, as we say. Did that answer and, the question? <laughs> and yeah. And it answered the question and then so much more. But what once you work with uh, a writer in this program, I know you this probably you can't summarize it easily, but how do you help them prepare their pitches for them to be pitch ready? Um, we have a lot of rehearsal. There's the written script. There's the visual deck. Um, in Pitch Parlor, we had sound effects. We had music cues. As I said, I'm from Broadway, so I like to go. But um, we also have a lot of industry mentors that come in and give you feedback along the way. We rehearsed for a couple months. In real life, you might never have to stand up at a microphone and ever pitch. You can be in a room that's 12 by 12 and a couch and have that as a normal pitching experience in the industry. Um, but there are some core elements you got to get out there to make it clear and make it nice and tight to have your buyer asking for more. Who is this for? Is this on brand for my network? Is this within um, the scope of, of what our, <laughs> sorry to say this at the end of the day, but, but our typical large ads want to buy? Is this the aspirational show that matches up with the budgets we want to go for this year, depending on the studio or network or production company or other overall deals that are attached to this. There's a lot of factors involved, but at the end of the day for TV, it comes down to character. And the most important thing for me in the pitch is who are these people we want to sit down on a couch with week after week and see them suffer, succeed, um, and build and evolve. And what is this world? And can you can you make me feel that in the pitch? Um, the most important secondary thing I would say is conveying the tone of your show. That's what you can't convey if you don't have a sizzle reel or you don't have a proof of concept already available as a filmmaker. You got to let people know what is this style of comedy? What is this style of drama? Is it action? Is it character driven? Is it family? There's there's sub genres within and you've got to let people know what they're going to feel when they watch your show um so tone world building character journey week to week and for all the people who are super excited about what you're saying uh how can you submit yourself for pitch parlor is it by invitation is it open submissions what's oh, unfortunately um as as you said it's a forward-facing industry dependent experience we do it live um and we are not pitching to anyone right now. So <laughs> correct, correct, correct. not determined. However, in the past, Pitch Parlor was exclusive to Sundance alumni. Amazing. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, Paola, I'm going to move over to you. Uh, and for the documentary fund, which you are helping tremendously on, projects are able to be submitted at any point in the production phase from early development to stuff that's already been shot and is in post-production. When you are reviewing these projects for consideration, um, how much do you focus on what already exists versus the potential of a project? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, the potential is really important because we are reviewing work in progress. 
So I would say it really depends. Um, it depends on the on the, at the stage that you're submitting uh, your project for. So if you're submitting a project in development, um, we don't actually. So I should say our application is uh, made up by two different parts. So there's like a, a written part and then the visual sample. So if you're submitting a project in development, um, you are not required to submit a visual sample, um, but you're highly encouraged just because it's a very competitive process. So, and, you know, we're working with a visual medium. So if we're seeing, you know, it's always really helpful to actually um, have some, you know, uh, visual component, um, especially just to get even just, you know, um, even it's a, if it's a very rough scene, uh, but just to get a little bit of a sense of the characters and, and um, the world that, that your um, story takes place in. Um, and then, um, you know, but so, so if you are uh, submitting in production or post-production, you are submitting, um, you are required to submit a sample um, that it's like a minimum of 10 minutes in production and a minimum of 20 minutes in post-production. And then if folks are, you know, sub submitting a project post-production stage, usually they also will have, you know, um, anything from 20 minutes to a full rough cut. Um, we're not expecting um, anything to be polished in any possible way, but um, I think what's important, um, if you know that the current execution of uh, your visual sample has some flaws uh, because of a number of reasons. It's a work in progress and it may not reflect the artistic approach that you're uh, ultimately going for um, because you don't have the, you haven't had the chance to put, to hire a DP for instance, mm -hmm. or the editing, um, you know, you maybe edit it yourself. So, you know, it, um, it's not as, uh, good as if it was edited by professional editors. So I think what is really important then is to um, write what's missing or what we're not seeing um, in the written application. So essentially just tell us um, how the, what we're actually looking at, how the visual sample differs from the creative vision that you are going for, that you're describing uh, in the written material. So that's, yeah, that's really important. And can you tell us a little bit about the types of, you have mentioned it in your answers earlier, but the types of voices, the types of stories that the Documentary Fund aims to uplift from all over the world, but how your funding priorities are continuing to evolve? Yeah, and that's a great question. We've worked very hard recently to really uh, narrow down our priorities and, and articulate them clearly. So we are really uh, focused on uplifting voices that have been tradi traditionally marginalized and historically underrepresented. So we're very much looking at um, supporting artists who self-identify as BIPOC, LGBTQ+, plus and, plus and people with disabilities. Uh, we're doing quite a bit of work, particularly in the um, uh, you know, in making sure that the films that we support um, have fully accessible productions and then, um, you know, that the um, the finished film is also fully accessible. Um, and then, you know, like you said, we are a global fund, so we support artists from all over the world, but our international priorities right now are um, really focused on supporting artists who live and work in countries that don't have a robust infrastructure of support for independent film as well as um, artists who live in um, regions where uh, freedom of expression is at risk and regions of conflict. That's what we're focusing on. Uh, it's very important work that you're doing. Thank you and your team. Um, I'll pass it over to Adam 
talk a little bit about your program and your work. Um, and as you mentioned, since the very beginning, Sundance has done really important work uplifting Indigenous stories and voices. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the challenges and opportunities that you see in the short term for your program? Uh, like for my program, or are you, are you asking more in terms of like the artists, I guess? Um, I think wh whichever you'd be more excited to answer. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I think like, yeah, I mean, in terms of opportunities, I think like there's a lot that's going on right now. Obviously, like, well, before the strike, there was a lot going on in like TV with a lot of, uh, especially a lot of alumni of our of our program that were writing and directing uh, on TV. And um, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's it's been a really good time for that. And like, I, there's also been a lot of alumni that are also like a bit more kind of in the um, sort of in the crossroads of like, I think what people would consider sort of like art or like the gallery world and stuff making work as well too so it's a it's a really like interesting time right now and a real sort of like blossoming of a lot of that work um we also recently just got um we announced it i want to say back in june i think um we recently got a a very generous gift from uh a, the uh, grand rancheria up in uh, northern california their tribe up there and um yeah it's a it's specific, it's like an endowment that will specifically go towards uh supporting indigenous artists from california tribes uh and part of that has to do you know just given the history of film where like so much of film and cinema history has been done in california but very little has been given to support or even acknowledge like the people whose land it's all happening on so um so yeah so that's something that you know i'm pretty excited about you know helping um to help foster some of those artists and to get their projects and, uh, you know, to uh, a new sort of creative stage. And so, yeah, hopefully it's, you know, it's playing the long game with that one for sure. So it's like um, yeah. really excited to see what, uh, what ends up uh, happening with a lot of those artists and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's like, I would say in general, like right now, as of right now, like a lot of the challenges are kind of like similar to, I think, um, what other folks had sort of mentioned, I think like part of it has to do, I think as of right now, I think the strikes have made it a little bit harder to some extent, just within the last couple of months of like being able to like, you know, I think we try to connect a lot of our artists with, um, with folks in the industry and stuff like that. And it's just, it's, you know, it's been a little bit tougher because we can't do that obviously um, just under prohibitions and everything. But um, so, I mean, I, I would say that that's kind of the main thing right now. And obviously just, you know, continuing to support our artists uh, through this strike and, um, and yeah, and just helping them how we can. So. Great. Can you share with us one experience that you've had recently within your program that has made you proud? Like any accomplishment that you're like, I'm very happy that we did that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I would go back to sort of that endowment that um, we'd spoken about. It was like, cool. I think the largest gift in um, Sundance's history. Uh, which oh, is great so um yeah and it was just it's great to see you know folks step up to support indigenous artists and um and just to you know make a commitment that also is like long lasting as well in the sense that like again it's an endowment so we're able to sort of like every year uh you know be able to use it to support artists in perpetuity essentially so yeah so it's great it's wow. oh, amazing okay elise i'm gonna uh switch things over to you can you talk a little bit about what goes into your process in reviewing applications for the feature film programs, labs, and intensives? And just as a reminder to our audience, these are the 
famed screenwriters, directors, and producers, labs, among others. Um, wh- what are the the most important aspects that you consider in a candidate? Sure. So uh, it's a little bit different for screenwriters and directors and for producers, but I'm sure, I'm sure. Big picture, um, a lot of the core processes and values are the same. Um, I would say that for all of our programs, we look at an artist's participation in the lab that they're participating in as the beginning of our relationship with them. We're really committed to remaining a creative and strategic resource throughout the life of the project that we're supporting for this particular artist. So for that reason, we have to feel very strongly both about the project, the piece of material, and the artist. Um, So in terms of material, we are working with, um, usually both for screenwriters, directors, and producers, we have an external team of readers. Um, These are always a mix of folks who know the program well and have read before. And in the case of producers, it's sometimes people who have been supported by the program. And then also we endeavor to add new people every year. We're also um, really prioritize making sure that this curatorial team Uh, is as diverse and inclusive as the cohort of artists we will select. And we're not just, you know, churning out coverage. We're meeting with them on a weekly basis and really deeply discussing um, their reaction to things, things that resonate, things that seem to be challenges. Um, With the material, we are really hoping to find distinctive singular voices and visions. We want to see stories we haven't seen told before or something that may sound familiar if you get the one or two second uh, pitch of it, but there's something so specific about the voice or the lens through which the artist is engaging that it feels fresh. I think it's also important to us that the work feels like it has an urgency associated with it. Sometimes that's about the content, that the subject matter, something, you know, that is socially or politically relevant. But sometimes it's because this is an artist who feels very much the right moment for our support, really on the cusp of taking the next step in their career. And this is the thing that they're passionate about and that's what gives it its urgency. Um, There's a lot of reading, not just of the script, but of the application materials, um, both the development track application for writers, um, but also particularly the producer's application has a lot of pretty in-depth almost like essay questions. People say the producer's application is harder than their college applications. Um, And we really want people to be honest. We want them to try and articulate not just what they're looking for or what their vision is for their film, but why now is the moment that a lab could be particularly helpful to them. I think timing is a lot of what goes into our ultimate decisions not just is this something with a lot of promise, but is this the moment where our kind of support is really what's needed and what the artist is is ready for in order to move a a project forward. And then, um, you know, at the end of the day, we come together as a team and try to put together something where it feels like everyone that we're supporting and every project that we're bringing both has something unique to get from the lab, but also has something unique to offer the lab, that it's really a a diverse and inclusive group, not just in terms of the artists themselves, but in terms of the stories, in terms of the backgrounds. Um, U.S. tends to be, I mean, Producers Lab turns to be U.S. uh, Screenwriters is always a mix of U.S. and international. Amazing. Um, And once you do select your cohort of artists that you're supporting, I know that it's hard to, answer this question broadly because every program is so different but 
what would you say is like the beating heart of the work that happens at the labs meaning what is like you know i know you work on multiple multiple aspects of uh supporting the artists and the projects but what do you think is the single most important takeaway that a filmmaker can have or can take with them at the end of the program i think that i i hope the takeaway is that every artist that we support will have a new appreciation for an appetite for a really creatively rigorous process in terms of their work for the the project specifically that we're supporting them on, but also that they'll develop an individual process that will carry on for all of their future work and that they will sort of strike the balance between having a real confidence in their own personal vision but also really valuing the community that is fostered at these labs and an understanding that it's not weakness to open up to collaboration, to feedback. Uh, you know, ultimately the artists that we support remain in control of um, their visions. We don't require or obligate them to take on the feedback that they receive, but I hope that they feel like that puts them in a position of strength to be open and to listen to everything that comes their way. And then ultimately they'll decide, you know, what really resonates for them and what might've been a fascinating suggestion from a really smart person, but is not necessarily in line with the movie that they're trying to make. That's such beautiful answers. And for the filmmakers who may not make it into the labs uh, once or many times like myself, uh, you, t you turned me down so many times, Elise. Uh, what what words of advice would you have for someone who's like really, really wanting to get the support, but you know, similarly to programming, due to space, due to number, or or just consensus, uh, they may not make it into the lab. We're not quite on the the scale of the festival, but the odds are still pretty lousy. So um, what I would say first is don't take it personally. And that's hard because we ask you about your personal connection to the material. And of course the work is personal, but there are just every year, there's so many more um, scripts and artists that we wish that we could say yes to. But the other thing that I would say is like, use it as fuel for your fire and use the process of applying to these programs as part of your creative process so that you do get benefit out of it, even if you don't um, end up getting selected. Like, you know, take seriously, really hopefully allow the application questions and the work that you do to get your script in shape, to submit it, to serve your own goals. And yes, it's wonderful to be, to be supported by Sundance, but there are many, many, many wonderful artists and films, yourself included, who may not have been selected and who have gone on to make incredible films that we love to watch and that we're so glad exist in the world. Like inspiring now to uh, get rejected. No, you're so good. <laughs> Thank you for answering. Um, just to, to all of you or any of you who want to answer, Sundance is like a point of discovery for films and filmmakers to experience something new, something fresh, something invigorating. Could you tell us about an exciting moment of discovery that you've had in your specific area of work? And I'm sure this is a hard question because that's this is literally your job and probably every day you have multiple moments. But is there anything that comes to mind just in terms of like that experiencing this like really made me feel something powerful? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I feel like, yeah, that happens every year, right? Like that's what we're always sort of, you know, 
mining for gold in that way of like, what's the thing that's going to jump out and feel like a discovery and feel like something totally fresh and totally new. Um, I will say, I think it's always exciting when it's, you know, you just don't know going in. Um, I think of course, like we do a really extensive job of again, tracking projects and hearing about projects and literally like someone can send me a cold email and we've never been in touch before. And that project is going to go into my tracking database. Like, and I'm going to, you know, make sure that I follow up with that person later. So like, it's that easy to just sort of like establish that rapport in that way. And so like, because of that, I think we actually are very aware of a lot of the films that are coming to us, particularly on the feature side, um, just because the, the volume is more manageable. So, so I think it's exciting when, also, you know, a film uh, comes up through the submissions process that maybe we weren't aware of, uh, which happens all the time, too. And so it's nice, like, to go through that process and then be like, oh, this film, you know, don't know this filmmaker, don't really have a sense of their background, but this is such an exciting project. And like, just to watch something and be reinvigorated by that. Um, you know, I, I guess, like, maybe one ex I mean you know it's hard to like give specific examples because I think again it just applies to different titles every year uh but one that I sort of you know didn't really have any expectations going in going in even though this filmmaker has made several films before uh, this past year was was Fremont Bapakjulali's film which now is doing an incredible festival circuit and like winning awards everywhere and it's just such a beautiful story um and it's so uplifting and surprising and charming and wonderful and sort of going into that film not knowing what to expect sort of early in the process it was just such a, a pleasant beautiful breath of fresh air um but but it happens every year to many different filmmakers in many different contexts many different films in many different contexts yeah. Uh, we I just worked in a movie in Fremont and we used a lot of the crew and they all just were like so 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 happy to see the reception that the movie's having uh, so thank you for supporting it I also say it for us also what's really exciting and where we do a lot of discovery is um, just attending um, pitching forums um, and to Jenny's point Jenny's point is so important like it's being able to pitch is like an art in itself uh so pitch training is so important but um yeah so just like that is like a major major points of discovery for us just attending um pitching forums all around the world and um and then what's also really amazing is you know um just going to the premiere of projects that we supported at the festival and then just really seeing them on just like watching them on the big screen and just like seeing see how they turned out uh it's just like yeah it's an incredible experience um, uh, that has yeah that has to be like a weird surreal amazing thing yeah i'll just uh, just one example that comes to mind is that all that breeds um you know um we supported it quite early in development and there was something really beautiful and unique about the project but also the story was quite different when we supported it uh it followed multiple characters and um and then, you know, when we saw how the film turned out and then we just saw having that amazing festival run and just, you know, receiving all those accolades and then the Oscar nominee, it was just like incredible. Just really, um, yeah, I think those are the moments that um, just, you know, um, makes us really, really happy. And also not that all films need to be <laughs> Oscar nominated. And, you know, there's just like so many unique, amazing films that um, 
receive uh, different different kind of accolades and, and they just have amazing journeys. And actually every year we do, during October, we do this like hidden gems sort of list. Um, and so that's like something that we're also really, really excited about. Um, films that have like unique uh, paths and, and journeys. Uh, okay, I'm going to move over to our submitted questions, and I'll encourage you all to try to keep your answers brief so that we can get as through as many as possible. Can you let us know where the best place is to keep track of all future applications slash deadlines for fellowships and labs? I imagine it's a website, but is there anything more uh, specific than that? I think if you go to the Sundance.org website and click on the Artist Programs page, I think it might be sundance.org slash apply um, on the right side of the screen. Like it always lists the open applications. Uh, for feature film development program, does it help to have a strong team applying together such as director, writer, and or producers or how about talent attached? I think that I, what I always say is when people ask about attachments and it's, it's sort of um, an annoying answer, but it's like, if it's the right attachments, it can be helpful. But what I mean by that is not like fancy people who, you know, I know, and, you know, have made lots of films. What I mean is if you are, for example, a writer director and you have a producer attached and the producer is someone who shares your creative vision and is at the right stage of their career and has a skill set that complements yours and um, you know, has the bandwidth and this is a priority for them, that's a fantastic attachment. If you're a writer director and you have a producer who's won an Oscar, but also has 77 films in development and you know, doesn't really have time for you and isn't gonna do much of the work that you need to move that project forward, it's, it's not gonna help, it's probably gonna hurt because we know that you, know, you don't have the team that you need. What I will say though, is that people should absolutely feel 100% um, comfortable submitting if they don't have anyone attached by themselves, except for themselves, I would say that probably the majority of folks that we select fall into that category. Adam, does your team watch all the short films? Yes, we do. Um, so, and part of the other thing with that as well, too, is like we watch them all from beginning to end. So we're not skipping through them or anything like that. So, you know, we always get that question. Um, but yeah, every film you send to us is watched in its entirety by a human being. So, um, yeah. So again, too, it's like, it has to do like, at least with us, it's like a lot of like time management. Like everybody has kind of their own style of like watching and stuff. Um, some people just like to watch everything just on sort of like the, the list that we get, or, um, like for me, I generally try to watch stuff that's like longer and then end up like at the end where I'm watching all, all the short stuff um, just because for me, it's like, I have more stamina to like sit through the 45 minutes or the 30 minute ones back to back in the beginning versus like, once I get to the end and I know it's the end, I can like, it's just like five minutes, 10 minutes, you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, we're all pros. We all watch your films and stuff like that. So, um, you know, don't worry about it. Everyone, every, if you submit a film to us, it will be seen. So what there's a lot of questions about when is the best time to submit and if there's any difference in being part of the group of people who are submitting right away versus if you're like late late in the game are your odds different depending I, I, on your timing yeah i can help answer that i mean it's there's no there's no difference in the sense that we're making the decisions at the end of the process so it's more like submit when you're able to submit I will say with shorts, you know, we don't have premiere requirements. 
So I'd say just be strategic about that because, you know, if you're rushing to submit a short and it's not quite finished, you can always submit in the spring when we reopen and like save on the submission fee and, you know, play other festivals in the meantime, and that won't like affect uh, eligibility. So that's something to just kind of bear in mind, um, just like for yourself and your own strategy. Uh, but for us, like we're very used to seeing works, especially on the, I mean, for sure on the feature side, a lot of the stuff we're seeing is, you know, doesn't have finished sound or color. So I think it just depends on like what the elements are, right? Like if you have like a genre film that's missing a, you know, visual effects component, that's a huge key narrative part of your story. That is might that might be something that you want to time accordingly and ensure is complete in some fashion. But um, but if you're you don't have you know if you have like temp sound temp color, uh, whatnot that's not an issue at all. What we usually just say is just it's helpful for us to know what the temporary elements are. So just including like a title card or notes in your cover letter or something like that, so that we know uh, what the mis what the incomplete elements are um, is something that's super helpful. But in but again, we're making the decisions really very close to like the very very end of the process. Um, so submitting earlier or later doesn't really um, impact that. Don't submit your monster film if it's missing the monster, is what you're saying. Uh, Paola, for the documentary fund, do you look at how much documentary experience we may have before? This is a narrative director who's trying to make their documentary debut and, and a story that they're passionate about. Just curious how um, much does experience weigh into decision-making process yeah i mean we support a lot of first-time uh, doc filmmakers so um you know uh, emerging filmmakers so and and you know it's all storytelling so often uh, folks will go from documentary to narrative to fiction fiction to non-fiction so it doesn't really it doesn't matter if you haven't had like a, a ton of prior experience um in that case, it may help to, you know, uh, surround yourself by people who have some experience, you know, uh, maybe like producer has some doc experience. Um, but ultimately, we are really looking at um, why you want to tell this story, like the strength of, um, you know, of the idea uh, and, um, yeah, and these qualities. And, and, you know, if you are the best person to be telling the story, why are you uniquely qualified to tell the story, as like Elise was saying. So um, so you shouldn't worry too much if you haven't had a ton of prior experience. Thank you. Elise, do you, how much do you consider the budget of the project submitted for the Screenwriters Lab? Does it, does it matter if these are big, small, medium-sized movies? So I always say, you know, we support projects that are independent, both in terms of story and spirit and in terms of budget. We don't have like a hard cap, but the vast majority of projects that we support that go on to be made do so for a budget of $2 million or less. Um, we have supported projects that have cost more than that. But, you know, as I said, part of what we do in addition to the creative support is strategic support and help, you know, hopefully help move things forward and, and, that's where our expertise lies. So if you've got a movie that's maybe a little bit pricier for good reasons, and it's the kind of film that, you know, can justify that budget in the marketplace, that's fine. If you've got, you know, a $50 million period drama with big war battles and whatnot, it, great. I can't wait to see it, but it's probably not right for our lab. Makes sense. Uh, Jandis, do you know of any other resources and or, um, opportunities for pitching, learning pitching 
sharing uh, ideas, holding oh. your skills? Sorry, that was like a three-part question. Um, another pitch fest that I think nationally is exciting for TV writers is ATX. They're one of our partners that we work with, um, takes place in Austin every year. Um, also series fest, um, and for the international people, series mania that takes place in France every year. Uh, okay. This is a fun and also potentially sad question. Do you ever watch films for fun? Yes. All the time. I honestly, again, like we go back to like the unfinished sound color. Like I love, like one of my favorite things as soon as we've like locked program is to go to the cinema and just watch like a finished sound and color film on a big screen. It's like so exciting. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, all the time for sure. I think this is the kind of work that like, you know, you have to be open to and open to, you know, what the voices, what the stories are, what um, the artistry is. And, um, you know, it's a, it's the kind of work that you have to be passionate about. So I think, I think that's a thing that I've seen that really, I think unites a lot of us is like the love of film and doing it for that. Uh, okay. And our closing question, uh, if you could, time travel and visit any Sundance Film Festival premiere or event in the last four decades that you missed or before your time. Uh, Do you have anything that comes to mind? Like, ooh, I wish I had been at the premiere of this or I wish I had been there at the time this happened. I would say the premiere of Edwig and the Angry Inch. I would have liked to have been at that. Oh, me too. I love that movie. We've heard a lot of stories about the premiere of Blair Witch Project. I would have liked to have been at that one, the Egyptian. I was very young when that came out, and I was convinced that that happened for real, and that was the story being told. Uh, is it true that the actors didn't show up to the premiere, or is that just an urban legend that... I that's That was my understanding. That's what I've heard, too. So we would need to time travel to confirm this rumor. That's the other okay. part. Yeah. Well, the, the word on the street was that the actors did not go to any of the premieres because they were, you know, not alive, apparently. Uh, but they were. They were. But, sorry, I don't want to start any rumors here. Uh, okay, anyone else? Adam, you need to have a great Yeah, line. sure. No, yeah. I mean, I think for me, I probably, I guess this would have been... 94 95 or something like that but i'd be really curious to go to see uh uh like paul thomas anderson's feature debut which was like titled heart eight which was like it was like a project through the labs and stuff like that and so i think i don't know like i think it would just be cool to see like a filmmaker that like you know is so sort of like iconic now and stuff like that but to see them sort of i'm sure like just being a nervous wreck at their first like screening and stuff like that um and just like i don't know yeah just seeing it and just kind of seeing that part of sort of sundance history and film history sort of like play out as it was happening Uh, my roommate at the time forced me to do kundalini yoga behind our venue for the premiere before my first screening at sundance because i was a nervous wreck and i remember that time very uh, dearly uh, I was shaking. I could not speak. Uh, Paola Jendis, if you have one to share, if not, all good. 
I actually, I should probably go with a documentary, but the first thing that came to mind was actually Beasts of the Southern Wild because, and it's not even that long ago, but I was working for the production company um, that uh, that essentially produced it. And uh, there was so much excitement about that film. And I know it was, you know, um, I think it went through the labs and it was uh, definitely, there was a lot of buzz uh, around the film at the festival that year. And um, it's also a film that needs to be seen on the big screen. And I only saw it uh, not on the big screen until that time. So uh, yeah, I would have liked to be there. I was there for that. It was at the Eccles and it was pretty amazing. (laughs) If I had to go back in time and Adam and Elise, you might have been there, but Taika's, if I could have met Taika Waititi like at like the birth of his fame, I would have loved to go back and saw, seen one of his things. Um, It was like 15 years ago or more, 25, I don't know. Yeah, he kept coming back. I think it was like after Hunt for the Wilder People, that's when that's when marvel snatched him up so uh thank you all so 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 much for your time uh i can tell that so many people are so inspired to hear everything you had to say so thank you thank you thank you we'll see you maybe at the festival if not in all the programs if not uh somewhere we'll find you uh thank you so so much thanks everyone Thanks for having us. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks, Carlos. Ciao, papito. <laughs> the little guy. Many thanks once again to Carlos for organizing and moderating another excellent and informative conversation and to the Sundance Institute team for participating. If you enjoyed this program, please stay tuned. We will be bringing you more of the anti-gravity satellite sessions in the coming weeks. But if you'd like to tune in live and contribute some questions of your own, be sure to follow Anti-Gravity Academy online. You can find that link in our show notes. And if you'd like even more conversations with artists and filmmakers about how they use technology to tell their stories, please be sure you are subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute podcast. You can find links to our show on all the major podcasting platforms, including the video version on YouTube in our show notes. Or you can simply search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're curious to know more about the Dolby Institute, head on over to dolbyinstitute.com. There you will find information about all of our programs. You can access the entire library of episodes of this podcast, and you can sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, thank you again for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry, with additional editing by Matt Nixon. Thanks for joining us.